man, again, I just want to just follow up with to say how grateful I am for God's presence. Aren't you just so thankful for God's presence? I mean, could you imagine having to live in the world that we live in today without the presence of God? I mean, it scares me. It really does, but I'm so grateful, and I'm grateful that he offers us his grace, that he offers us his mercy, because it's certainly not because of anything good that any of us has done that we received it, but he freely gives it. Amen? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. And this is what King David, I believe, was talking about in Psalm 107.1 when he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And it's my hope and it's my prayer, especially if there's anyone that's here today that doesn't know God, that you would begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, earlier this summer, I took my family to Hawaii after everything that we have went through this past year, we thought that that was a nice little getaway that we needed as a family. And as I was preparing my trip, I called my buddy Jay, who is Hawaiian, and he also happened to be born and raised in the very island in Hawaii that we took our, our trip to. And when I called him, Jay told me about all the places that we needed to check out while we were there. And one of them was Kona, Hawaii ice. And when he told me about it, I was like, yeah, sure, man. I've had Hawaii ice before. And, of course, I was thinking of the little trailer that they park at Ace Hardware, you know, the snow coats. And whenever I said that to him, he laughed, and he's like, uh, no, bro. He goes, that's not what you're thinking of. He said, I could try to explain it to you. He said, but honestly, he says, you're just going to have to taste it and see for yourself. And so upon his testimony of Kona, Hawaii ice, my family went and we tasted it and we enjoyed it and we came back the next day and then the next day and then the next day. I guess what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that I'm going to do my best to share my testimony of how God has never left me, how he has never forsaken me, how he has always shown himself faithful in each and every season of life and every difficult that I've ever faced. He's proven himself over and over and over to be everything that I have ever needed. But watch this. My commentary... It can't even give adequate description just to how good he is. You're going to have to taste and see for yourself. Are you guys hearing me this morning? I said this a, a few weeks ago, and it was kind of along this line, so it warrants repeating. And that is that you do not have the capacity to exaggerate how good God is or how great his love is towards you. I've been happily serving Jesus now for right at 28 years. And if it's okay for me to just say it this way, his love has marked me. Yes, that is a shameless plug for my series right there, but it is absolutely true. You know, as I thought through how to kind of end this series, I grappled with how to bring it about because when you talk about being marked by God, there's really an endless supplies of messages that one could talk about, like one could talk about being marked as a son or a daughter, 
which is really kind of along the lines of what we talked about last week in the parable of the lost sons. You could talk about being marked as an ambassador, representing the kingdom of God and his affairs here on the earth. You could be talking about marked as agents of change, much like the early church in Acts chapter 17, 6, that were dubbed those who turned the world upside down. Let it be said of us, O Lord. Amen. But I want to close this series with something that has marked me and that is still marking me. And so today is going to be a two-part message that will bring the series to completion. But before I tell you what it is, I want to first just share with you an encounter that I had. Uh, I shared with you that our family had went to Hawaii earlier this summer. And uh, while we were there, I had heard that one of our missionaries that we support as a church um, was stationed at the YWAM base. Now, YWAM stands for Youth with a Mission, awesome organization. Now, the wife of this couple um, had been in my youth group a long time ago uh, when I was a youth pastor. And I had her from 7th grade to 12th grade, and even after she graduated high school, I hired her as a college intern to come to work uh, for me in the youth ministry. And I'd never met her husband before. This is the first time I had ever met him. And whenever I met him, he began to share with me what an impact that Jody and I had had on Haley's life. And, you know, it wasn't just this kind of 10-second obligatory um, word of gratitude, but, like, I felt his words. I felt the weight of his words as he shared with me with passion and sincerity how much the deposits uh, meant to her that we made into her life and how that it has really formed her into who she is today. But then Haley said to me, you will never know the impact that you made on my life. And when she said that, she was really referencing a specific gathering that we had uh, on Sunday nights that we called the, the furnace. Um, I, I had a youth group called uh, Fuel, and we thought that that would just be a fitting name to go along with it, the furnace. Now, the furnace was a two-hour night of prayer on Sunday nights where about 30 teenagers would gather for the sole purpose of seeking God and pray. Now, getting 30 adults to pray is a hard thing to do. <laughs> like, try, imagine getting 30 teenagers to pray. What I can tell you about those nights is that lives were changed, including my own. People found freedom. People got filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Teenagers started ministering to one another. It's a time that I know that I will never forget as long as I live. Well, Haley, she brought up the furnace, and she talked about these very things that I'm mentioning to you right now. And she said to me, Pastor Chris, I am who I am as a result of those times of prayer and seeking God. And then she said this, and she had no idea that I was about to preach this series. She said this to me. She said, that time of praying marked me. And friends, that is exactly what prayer will do. It will mark you. It will change you. You see, there are parts of our calling, works of the Holy Spirit, defeats of the darkness that will come no other way but through fervent, faith-filled, unceasing prayer. John Wesley once said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. You see, church, God takes time to listen to those who pray. 
And so what I want to do this morning is just take two weeks to talk to you about prayer as we wrap up our Mark series. And my hope is that each and every one of you would grow in your prayer life and that you would see how vital it is that we pray. Look, I have a group of people that I pray with every Sunday night for at least an hour. And I want to share with you something that God spoke to me during that time of prayer. And I I want you to really grab hold of this. This is going to be key. This is going to be integral uh, for Destiny Church moving forward for many, many years to come. I heard the Holy Spirit say, prayer and worship is to be the thermostat for Destiny Church. I can't say with more conviction. I can't say with more excitement. I can't say with more fervor. I can't say more boldly what I just said to you. I'm going to say it one more time. Prayer and worship is to be the thermostat for Destiny Church. That means that prayer has to be the engine that drives this mission. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 13, Jesus says, My house will be called a house of prayer. Now here's what I want you to catch. I want you to see what Jesus is talking about here because he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. What's that mean, a house? Because I think that there are too many believers when they hear the word house, they just think about this place that we meet at on Sunday mornings. But I'm absolutely confident that that's not just what Jesus is referencing here. You see, the word house here in the Greek is the word oikos, which it means a household or a family, as in like the family of God. It also means the human body. And in Acts chapter 7 and verse 48, Stephen says, The Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. It's important that you grab hold of this so that you understand what it is that Jesus is trying to communicate here whenever he says, My house will be called a house of prayer. In Hebrews 3 and verse 6, it says, But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house. Did you hear that? We are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory. And so, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is in essence saying, my people will be called a people of prayer. But church, could this be rightly said of us? Like, does our lives testify to Jesus' statement? I hope to share with you guys some thoughts this morning that will stir you to go into a deeper place in prayer. So that no matter where you currently are in your prayer life, whether you pray for hours a day or whether your prayer life is virtually non-existent, I I want you to know that God is calling you, he's calling me, he's calling our church to go deeper. Now I'm going to throw a lot at you to think about this morning. And here's the first one, so if you're taking notes. The depth of your prayer life will determine the depth of your relationship. You see, most people don't realize it, but prayer is the most important conversation that you will have every day. Many people wonder why their relationship with God, it looks the same week after week, month after month, year after year. And the answer is found in how often they pray. See, you can't grow in your relationship with God if you're not spending time with him. Are you with me? And make no mistake about it. There is no substitute 
for time spent with Jesus. I could preach on that one statement the rest of this day because we think that if we just get enough theology in our head and, well, I know the Bible, guess what? I do too. Guess what? So does the devil. Hello? There's no substitute for time spent with Jesus. If you want the presence of God, you've got to be present with God. But what we have today is we have people who don't pray because they've learned to live without prayer. But as Martin Luther once said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Come on, that's tight, but it's right. Hello? I mean, consider this. Imagine if I never spent time listening and talking to my wife. Like, how do you think that relationship's going to work out? Imagine if I never spent time talking and listening to my daughters. How do you, how do you think that relationship is going to work out? Now, see, here's the thing. I don't think that there's probably any of us in here that ever intentionally neglect a relationship. If we do, that right there is a whole nother thing. But we do inadvertently neglect those relationships when we don't do what's necessary to sustain them and cause them to grow. And this is true in our relationship with God just as it is in our other relationships. Come on, that's a free piece of marriage and parenting advice right there in case you didn't catch it. Now maybe you're here and you're like, well, you know, uh, I really don't know how to pray, Chris. I was like that. I remember whenever I first started really learning how to pray, and gosh, I'd been in ministry, hello, <laughs> right? And um, I remember setting aside time daily to pray, say, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm, I'm going to pray every single day. And um, I found that after the first couple of days, man, I ran out of things to say. And so I had to get honest, and I went before my pastor, and I said, Pastor, I've been praying for like several days in a row now, and man, I don't even know what to say. Like, I feel like I've prayed about everything I know to pray about. And I remember my pastor giving me the best advice that I've ever received on prayer. He said, Chris, just show up. Just show up. And I think that that's a word for someone who's here who you are like I was and you don't even know where to begin. Well, here's where you begin. Just show up. Open up his word. And let him lead you and let him speak to you. And as you faith are faithful uh, to do that very thing, to spend time diving into his word and wait on him and show up, you will begin to hear his voice and know his voice. And what you should say, guess what? It's going to naturally come. But you know what's even more important anyway is what he's saying, not what we're saying. Hello? See, I think that we often make prayer something more difficult than it is. Prayer is profoundly simple, but it's also simply profound. It's the greatest, simplest thing that we could ever do. Simplest because no one is more approachable than God, but greatest because it is indeed God that we're approaching. Now, let me give you another thought that you need to know about prayer. You may want to write this down. Prayer is the key to opening certain doors. Now, that doesn't mean that God is going to open every door that you bring to him, right? And I can also promise you that there are some doors that whenever those things uh, open and if you walk through them, the moment you cross that threshold, you're going to, like, retreat and go back because you're like, ooh, that I went uh, kind of before God there and I shouldn't have, right? But whenever God doesn't open all the doors that we ask him to, that's when we trust that God has something in store that we, we may not know what he has in store, but it's the peace of God that surpasses understanding. 
That means that we can still have a peace even though we don't know what God's doing. You know, there's, I have a long list of things right now that I'm like, God, I don't know what you're doing. But, you know, that's at the place that we trust. I mean, think about that. Think about that. Like, if you're asking God for something and you're believing for something and he's just constantly giving it to you left and right, does that require faith? No. And God wants us to trust him, to rely upon him, and to be patient. But there are certain doors that prayer does indeed open, and only prayer can open them. Colossians 4, 2 through 4, Paul says it this way. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. Why? Watch this. That God may open to us a door. So Paul says, guys, will you guys pray for me? Pray that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. See, many approach life kind of like, well, whatever's going to be is going to be. But God's word is clear that prayer can change a situation. Listen, don't ever settle for how a situation may appear. Too many uh, believers, they settle for less than best for what God has purposed and ordained for their lives. Which causes me to wonder what doors haven't been opened because we failed to pray. It's been said that perhaps the greatest tragedy in Christianity were prayers that weren't answered because they were never prayed. Or perhaps we prayed but we were not steadfast in prayer. Like Paul says to be in Colossians, continue steadfastly in prayer. The word steadfastly there, it means to persevere and not to faint. You see, the sad reality is that most Christians, they just pray when they feel like praying. But if you will only pray whenever you feel like praying, then the devil will see to it that you never feel like it. Hello? And the devil would love more than anything to limit your time in prayer because he knows that your time in prayer limits him. Church, there are some situations in life that you have to pray through in order to experience the breakthrough. And these prayers, they will often end with puddle of tears, the taste of carpet on your lips. But hey, remember the very one that we follow and serve, Jesus He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane to the point to where his capillaries burst, causing his blood to leak through great drops of blood-filled sweat. I believe there's a place in prayer that the majority of the body of Christ knows nothing about, a place called steadfast prayer. And because they know nothing of it, they're confused and they question God when their half-hearted 20-second prayer isn't answered. Come on, I know I sound like my wife right now telling my kids to eat something green. (laughs) What I mean is this might not be what you want, but this is what you need. Church, I'm saying these things to you because I want you spiritually strong and healthy. We must learn to persevere in prayer. James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I I love this verse in the King James. It's how I I memorized it. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But in order for it to be effectual, it has to be fervent. There are some things that in order to experience the breakthrough, we have to learn to pray through. 
there's another important point that I want you to catch that's found here in the first part of James 5.16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, here's the next point. Don't neglect the prayers of the saints. Listen, there's a time for prayer that's just between us and God, but there's also a time when we're to come together and we're to pray for one another. Now, listen to me. If you happen to be here this morning or listening to this online and you're thinking to myself, man, this is kind of elementary. Yeah, well, are you doing it? Because you know what I found? I found that there's a difference between knowing something and actually doing it. And I think that part of the problem in the body of Christ is that we are already too educated for our level of obedience. But I believe that one of the reasons that we don't go to one another for prayer is because we want to project this mirage as if we all have it all together. But can I just tell you something? Pride prevents prayer. And the real deception is that we actually start to believe that mirage. And as long as we believe the lie that we're in control of everything, we fail to ask God for help, let alone ask the body of Christ to pray with us. Church, the Bible says that one of us can put a thousand to flight. And and thank God for that, right? But then it says that two of us can send 10,000 fleeing. And I don't know about you, but... It seems like often days in my life now, it feels more like there's 10,000 coming against me rather than just 1,000. And I need the prayers from the body of Christ. Because while there's power in us praying alone, there is exponential power when we come together and pray. Hey, maybe some of you guys that you've been praying for a breakthrough that you've not received yet, you ought to link up with some other believers and hit that thing with some exponential prayer. Hello? Pastor Chris, are you saying all we should ever do is pray? Listen, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. Because when we don't pray, the natural course of action takes place. And I don't know about you, but there are mary- uh, there's a-, a lot of areas in my life where I don't want the natural course of action taking place. As a matter of fact, I need the supernatural course of action to take place. Come on, anyone with me this morning? Church, we must pray. When we don't pray, we tell God that what has begun in the spirit, we can finish in the flesh. I heard an old full gospel preacher one time say, if you don't pray, you will stray. You see, church, both vision and passion are born and maintained by prayer. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. But many believers are losing heart, and they're losing heart because they've stopped praying. Listen, it's impossible to have a church that's on fire for God if they are praying. It's impossible to not have it. I'm telling you, you can always put a a, a thermometer on a church And if it's not burning hot, that church is not praying. If it's burning hot, then there's people in that church that's praying. And by golly, I'm telling you what, we've got to be the thermostat that sets it. Because if someone comes in and a guest comes in here and they don't sense the fire of God and the spirit of God here, it's because we ain't praying and seeking God. And if that's the case, let's fold up shop and let's go to the beach on Sunday morning. 
I ain't folding up shop and I ain't going to the beach on Sunday morning. Don't worry. Because I won't pray, but I want to know if anyone will join with me and pray. Not just on Sunday mornings. Not just on Sunday nights. We don't just come to Sunday school. We need Monday school. We need to hit it on hump day. We need to hit it on Friday night. Lord knows some of y'all need to hit it on Friday night. We got to pray. Got to pray. If the fire and the passion ever leaves the church, it's because the church has left the place of prayer. Write this down. Prayer gives birth to revival, which gives birth to more prayer. That's a loaded statement, so I'm going to say it again. Prayer gives birth to revival, which gives birth to more prayer. See, prayer isn't preparing us for the greater thing. Prayer is the greater thing. Leonard Ravenhill once said, revival delays because prayer decays. Listen, every great move of God was preceded by prayer. Like, history is silent about revivals that did not begin in prayer. Even the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit came during a prayer meeting. And the kind of prayer that I'm talking about, by the way, it isn't just the kind that prays from the place of need. And I'm talking to mature believers here. I'm talking about praying from the place of identity and inheritance. Because when you pray from the place of identity and inheritance, you will find that your needs are met. That's why Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all of those things, all being all inclusive, everything that you need. But the fat, sad fact is this, is that most people only turn to God when there's a problem. But catch this, church. If the only time you pray is when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. Not only that, but you've missed the very point of prayer. Prayer is not to be treated like your spare tire, but rather your steering wheel. I think it was Corey Tim Boone that said that. Good statement right there. You've got to stop making prayer your backup plan. Like running to God should be your first response and not your last resort. See, there are a lot of problems that could have been avoided had we been praying. I'm talking about hurts and pains that were unnecessary and, again, could have been avoided because we would have seen them coming had we been praying. Now, listen, I'm not saying that if you're here and you have problems that you've not been praying, but I'll tell you what, I'll be the first to admit that there are self-inflicted wounds that have been brought about in my life for the sole reason that I was not praying as I should. I guess what I'm saying is that God is teaching me to be preventive in my praying rather than just praying from trauma. Now, thank God that God does hear us in our trauma. Amen? Thank God for that. But if prayer could prevent the trauma, then, hey, I'm going to opt for that one, right? I'm going to opt for prevention. Listen, we are to pray in times of adversity lest we become faithless and unbelieving. We are to pray in times of prosperity, lest we become boastful and proud. We are to pray in times of danger, lest we become fearful and doubting. And we are to pray in times of security, lest we become self-sufficient. See, what I have 
come to learn is that prayer causes us to have a perspective shift. I'm talking about shifting our perspectives from the things that aren't to how things should be. Right? Prayer is this, guys. Prayer is us simply coming into agreement with heaven. And when we come into agreement with heaven, we will then experience on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? You will hear me say this often. The future of this church will be determined by prayer. Not only that, but watch this. The future of this nation will be determined by prayer. Listen, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the state of the church in our nation is weak. And if we are to get back up on our feet, we've got to first start by getting down on our knees. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people. Now understand, this is one of those conditional promises that God throws out there. It's an if-then promise. And he starts by saying, if. If my people who are called by my name. That's you, that's me. And they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. You see, friends, prayer is our invitation to God to intervene in the affairs of the earth. It's our request for him to work his ways in the world. And the awesome thing is that we are given the privilege of being channels of the Holy Spirit's prayer. And what I mean by that is we get to participate with the Holy Spirit in our praying. This is what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1 when he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit. See, the word participation here in the Greek is the word koinonia. Some of you are familiar with that word. It also means a fellowship. You see, there's a fellowship, there's a partnership, there's a participation that we have as being sons and daughters and joining in with what God is doing here on the earth. It's what Jude even referenced in, in Jude 1, chapter 20, when he says, But beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And so the future of this church will be determined by prayer. The future of this nation will be determined by prayer. And your future will be determined by prayer. As a friend of mine so eloquently puts it, the transcript of our prayers become the script of our lives. So watch how you pray. And many people, they do pray, but they pray as if their problems are bigger than God. But can I just say that our biggest problem in prayer is our small view of God? See, prayer is the difference between the best that we can do and the best that God can do. Now, I don't know about you, but I am very aware of my limitations and what I can do, which isn't much in my own ability. But watch this about God. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, but we also need to ask. Above all that we could ever ask or think, according to his power, which is at work within us. Church, what I hope this morning to do is to stir your faith this morning in such a way as to understand how great God is and that, that there is nothing that is impossible for him.
Hey, the power of prayer has closed the mouths of lions. It's set anarchies at rest. It's stopped wars. It's casted out demons. It's defeated death. It's healed diseases. It's rescued cities from destruction. It's caused people to walk away from car wrecks that they shouldn't have walked away from. It's saved marriages. And it's set addicts free. You see, the power of prayer is as broad as God because God is behind it. Church, we must pray and pray often. And when we pray, we need to pray big, bold prayers. Why? Because we serve a big God who wants to do big things in and through our lives. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, but Pastor Chris, I, I, I can't pray. I mean, I've lived my life in such a way that I'm unfit to pray to God. Can I just say that thinking that you're unfit to pray is like saying, I can't take medicine because I'm too stick, sick. No, it's when you are sick that you need a physician the most. And guess what? Jesus just happens to be the great physician. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but don't be concerned about having the right words. Just be concerned about having the right heart. And the heart that God is looking for is the one that recognizes their need for him and understands that without him, there is no healing. You see, prayer is the cure for sickness, for a confused mind, a weary soul, and a broken heart. All these things plus much, much more comes as a result of prayer. You say, Pastor, are you telling me that if I pray that God is going to change all of my circumstances? No, but what I am telling you is that prayer will change you. Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition. Can I, let me stop there for a minute because I think that that needs to be hit for a second. In every situation. That means even the smallest things. You know one of the things that I love about God? It's not that anything's too big for him, but nothing is too small for God either. Like if there's something that you're wanting, and and I'm just going to get trivial for just a moment, just kind of mention, like even if you're praying for a certain type of vehicle and you're even praying for the color. I'll never forget whenever uh, my wife had prayed for a vehicle and she got the vehicle she wanted and she thought to herself, man, I wish I could have got this in a different color. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her and says, you didn't ask me for that color. You say, God doesn't really care about this kind of thing. If, if you don't believe that, then you don't have kids. And that tells me that you're not a good parent. But hello? Because I care about the littlest things for my kids. Now, if I, being evil compared to God, like how much more so is he concerned about the things that concern his children? Now, think about that for a moment. And so we pray about every situation. And he says, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. So that right there gives us some good education as to how we're supposed to respond in our praying, that once we pray, we begin to thank God for it, even before it happens. Because here's what we often do, church, is we wait until God does it, then we thank him. But God wants us to uh, step in faith and thank him even before it happens, because that's when faith gets activated in our prayers. With thanksgiving, present your request to God in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, Paul's saying, you're going to pray about this thing. You're going to thank God for it, 
And you're not going to understand how he's going to do all this work, and that's okay because that's why he's God and you're not. Because if you knew how all the ways of God that make you God and you're not God, you're not even a good God. <laughs> like, you know, you're bad at being God. He's perfect at being God. Okay, And so his ways are going to come, and the peace of God will transcend our understanding. And then it says it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's a loaded scripture. That's one of those ones that you need to, like, cut out and put on your refrigerator, or you just need to commit to memory. Um, It's so important. See, we are to pray about every situation. And watch this. Sometimes God changes the situation, but more times than often, he changes us. Hey, I know this. There are things that I now have in my life, and I feel like some of my young people really need to hear this right now. There are things that I have in my life right now, big things that I prayed for, that I now have them. Like they were like the result of prayer. Because here's the thing. Anytime you see anything that's good from God, because we know that every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above, right? And so when we see anything that's good in our life, sometimes we've just got to trace that genealogy back and remember, as did the children of Israel, they prayed for things, God moved, and then they forgot about it. There's some of you, you're walking around with the blessing of God, and you forgot that that was a prayer that you prayed 25 years ago. And the only reason you have that thing is because God honored that prayer. Don't forget that it was God who gave it to you, ma'am, sir. But I have things in my life right now that I, I now have because I prayed for them in the past. And there are other things that I didn't get, but I got something better. I got a change of heart and a change in perspective. But watch this. All of these things were birthed in the place of prayer. Let me ask you guys to stand with me for just for a minute. We're going to talk about prayer a little bit more next week. I feel like this is something that we need to spend more time on. I want to ask us to do something a little different. Um, I want to ask you to grab the hand of the person next to you if you could. If you're like right there next to them, you don't have to worry about if you're like 10 people away to stretch. But if, if you can, just kind of reach over and grab hands with someone. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray a prayer of victory this morning. You know what I I felt in my spirit this morning? One of my good friends called me, had a word for me, and it was the same word that I was holding on to that I felt I heard from the Lord. It's time for victory. I'm telling you by the end of this year that there's going to be so many of you, I'm marking you right now, that there's victory coming in your life. And watch this. If you feel like, man, it feels like all hell's coming against me right now, can I just tell you that the resistance is the greatest right before the breakthrough? There's victory that's coming. Let me just speak this over you. And then we're going to pray here in just a moment. Ephesians 6, 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Deuteronomy 20 and verse 4 says, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. God desires for his people to be a people of strength and victory. I don't know what you have need of this morning, but God does. But James 4, 2 says, we do not have because we do not ask God. And so I dare you this morning to believe God. I dare you to trust him. I dare you to step outside of your normal routine of trusting yourself and putting your trust wholly in him. And if you'll do that, listen to what God says through the prophet Isaiah. 
In Isaiah 65 and verse 24, he says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. I want you to know that God hears your prayers. Someone needs to hear this. God hears your prayers, even while you are still speaking, even before a word rolls off of your tongue. God is attentive to the prayers of his people. And so I'm going to lead us in prayer. And whatever it is that you have need of this morning, I just want to encourage you, no matter how great, no matter how small, bring that before him. And trust him to do what only he can do, miracle worker, way maker. And then begin to thank him that he will do that thing that you have asked him to do. But now before I lead you in prayer, I've asked the worship team to sing this chorus here over you. So I want you guys to just allow this song to be received as a prayer sang and spoken over. Happen today. 